Hello there, I'm Dee Reddy and welcome to Inside Intercom. On this week's show, we are delighted to chat to Zenaida Mann of the Black Women's Business Collective. I spoke with Zenaida a few weeks back and knowing that International Women's Day is fast approaching this week, next Monday, the 8th of March, for anyone who hasn't marked their calendar yet, it struck me that our conversation married really well with Intercom's theme for this year, which is Choose to Challenge. A challenged world is an alert world. Individually, we're all responsible for our own thoughts and actions, all day, every day. We can all choose to challenge and call out gender bias and inequality. We can all choose to seek out and celebrate women's achievement and help create an inclusive world. From challenge comes change. So let's all choose to challenge. And challenging is something that Zenaida has done throughout her career. In today's conversation, we'll chat about why the events of 2020 led her to create the Black Women's Business Collective, how she aims to challenge the obstacles faced by women of colour in business, whether that's raising capital or access to a network, and why she's challenging other companies to keep this conversation going beyond the hype. It's a really interesting conversation, so let's head over to the studio and hear from Zenaida. Zenaida, you are so very welcome along to Inside Intercom today. We're delighted to chat with you about your work at Black Women's Business Collective, Indefinite Breakthrough and the Phoenix Fund. But just to kick us off, do you want to give us a little bit of background on yourself for any of our audience that might not be familiar with your work to date? Absolutely. And thank you for having me today. Hello, everyone. My name is Zaneda, and I am a communications professional with over 15 years experience in marketing and a strong skill set in social media marketing. I have had many businesses, multiple streams of income, and just finding my way through this life. And my favorite thing to say is I've lived many lives within this one life. So I, I'm very excited to talk about all of the projects that you mentioned. Super. And you've and, and, and as you alluded to there, you have had quite a, a mixed bag of careers in terms of, you know, having worked in communications, also in, in, in education. Do you want to, to deep dive into that a little bit for us? Oh, absolutely. So I always had this idea that I wanted to be a teacher. That's the important part about, in many ways, you cannot be swayed by what people say to you or it, or easily influence. And, I, and I, I say all of that because when I was in seventh grade, my teacher, my homeroom teacher had said to me, you know, you should go into communications or, you know, you should be on TV. And then I have this voice. So a lot of people always say, oh, you should be on radio and whatever. So I said, but I want to be a teacher. So she goes, no, you don't. And I had no idea. Remember, I'm in seventh grade. And she goes, they don't get paid anything. She was like, they treat you like crap and it's a waste of time. She's like, go get money somewhere else. And I'm like, okay. So that was really implanted in my life to not do it. So I did escape that whole idea of teaching in a classroom until I was about, I'm going to say about 29. I had decided from a, an experience that I had with the New York City Department of Education, I was a contractor for them. And I was actually teaching business and coding programs. And I'm all self, you know, self-taught with coding and stuff and I have a great connection with youth. So I was lucky enough to get a contract in the New York City public schools on an after-school basis. I loved it. I fell in love with the the bright young minds in front of me. And I said, you know what? And at that time, I have had my own full-time business in contracting. And I said, I want to do this full-time. I just want to experience it. You know, I looked at the qualifications. I got in um, into a training program called the New York City Teaching Fellows, which, is, which allows 
people who have uh, bachelor's degrees or even master degrees to go back and get your master's in education, which is a requirement for New York City. And the program was amazing. I loved it, got into the classroom, and it wasn't what I thought, essentially. I um, I expected the excitement of after school and, you know, all the kids. And we were just like talking. There weren't really like these lesson plans. You know, I've had a scope of what we were doing. But when I got into the classroom full time, it was really not culture shock, but it was like, whoa, this is, this is deep. <laughs> so I had that experience for about five years. Absolutely loved it. Met so many different people. It makes sense to me because when I, you know, when I saw the educational background, when I was obviously doing research on you, it makes sense in terms of what you're doing at the moment. You know, those core strengths around education, around coaching, around mentoring. I'd imagine that you, you do actually utilize those in your work now as like a really powerful advocate for women of color in kind of professional services. And, and did, did that kind of play into how you came up with the idea for the Black Women's Business Collective? Yeah, you know, um, I'll say that I, I call it BWBC for short. Um, so the Black Women's Business Collective really came up um, from a moment of stress for a lot of my business friends who happen to be Black and Afro-Latina women. Um, they, you know, they managed, some managed to uh, live off of a, uh, live off of their career. I mean, not their careers, their businesses. And some of them had a nine to five and was, you know, they're bootstrapping these other businesses. They're six to two or whatever you want to call it. And for some reason in around April, I'll say about April of 2020, they began to, you know, we have these conversations and they're like, oh, I lost this contract. I lost that contract. If you're in marketing um, or any type of communications in the business world, we know that we're usually the first to go, right? Because people don't think, when you think of the different buckets of what a business entails, finance and, you know, sales and all this stuff, they believe that those are the things that hold it all together and you can actually throw the marketing and comm side away. So new, normally what happens when you're dealing with small businesses, which many of my my sister friends, I like to call them, were involved in, that's the first to go. So they started losing dozens of contracts. One of my very good friends and, and business advisors, she's like one of my friends and mentors because she has sustained herself for 10 plus years with dozens of cl clients. And for some reason in this period, you know, everyone's afraid, you know, they're going to lose their money or whatever the case is going on in the world. They just started cutting all of the contra uh, contracts. I think she lost about six or seven of them. I said, there's something that we need to do. And because of my, because of my background in business solutions, business development, marketing, communications, education, um, I'm used to planning. So that's something that I got from being an educator is planning backwards, which totally set me in a different direction because I would just say, okay, I have to do this, 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 and that, and it leads up to a goal. Teaching taught me to develop what I want to do from the goal and go backwards. So if the goal is for them to learn multiplication, you know, 10 facts or something like that, then I need to know what are the steps below that, that they have to achieve in order to get to the ultimate goal. So putting all of that together and just really just putting my thinking cap on and hot uh, summer, summertime around the summer in 2020, I was very hot in New York City. I had no AC because I was just, something was going on with the AC system and I didn't want to be bothered with it. So I just, you know, I dealt with it. And I feel like it, it gave me some grit because I was just like pouring sweat, <laughs> sitting at the window and just typing away. 
and brainstorming, which is something I do often. Um, and that idea came up. I said, we need something where we can collectively gather. We can amplify our own voices. And that's something that happens with black owned businesses, not just even black women owned or people. It's all, you know, it's all businesses. But when you think of black owned businesses, a lot of us, we are not, we're underfunded. And I'm sure you're well aware of that. We're really underfunded. So a lot of times we have to sit there and deeply strategize. So what they're learning in Harvard Business School, like Harvard Business School is by the window with no AC in 98 degree weather with the laptop trying to figure out how she is going to uplift the 30 or 40 women that she knows who, who are either bootstrapping or have been doing great. They've been thriving and now they're trying to survive. So with that idea, I said, okay, you know what? Maybe we do a, a directory. And I, I called it the database. And the reason that came about, I noticed that there was a lot of press and, you know, media media is good and bad. And, you know, we know that. But one thing about the media when it comes to Black-owned businesses, I call it the hype. I, I wrote something. I wrote a, one of my email newsletters to my to my group. It was called When the Hype Goes Away. That was, I think that was the first one. I said, when all the hype goes away, who is going to save Black-owned businesses? Right. And, and I got a lot of attention off of that. Surprisingly, nice open rates. And people were like, yeah, you're right, because the news was talking about it. The you know entrepreneur, every, everyone's talking about black owned business and, you know, shop black and all that stuff. And that and that's great. Right. But there is a deeper there's a deeper challenge. And, and, and we'll get more into that about the cash um, acronym. But essentially, how do we collectively gather? Because we can't do this alone. A lot of businesses, a lot of black owned businesses um, we're all doing it alone, either from our phones where, you know, we may have a very small network, may, may have a mentor, may not, you know, we're looking at stuff on Google, but how can we get this all together? How can we pool our, our resources, bring in some allies who are open to not just saying, hey, here's all the money and now we're going to walk away, but no, I have access. So let me bring you some of that access. Let me start these conversations for you in the spaces that you may not be in that could help scale your business. And that became Black Women Business Collective in the sense where off of a $30 Instagram ad, so I, I was really bootstrapping this, $30 Instagram ad, I, I put out this uh, post that I was looking for Black women-owned businesses and you get to add your business to the directory for free. There's And all they had to do was answer the pitch was all you had to do was answer uh, six questions under two minutes and your business would be amplified for free. Now, of course, there's a lot of databases out there and a lot of directories for businesses and a few popped up for black owned businesses. But the thing that they didn't offer was the marketing and the publicity push that I have in my background that I put behind the black women's business collective. So yes, tons of directories, but this one directory I'm going to put in front of media. This one directory I'm going to have Black Enterprise talk about me. This one directory I'm going to keep on pushing. I'm amplifying voices that, of women that I've never heard of or never spoke to. So within 30 to, I think it was about 35 days, we, we wind up getting about close to 3,000 women um, to fill out this form. And I'm in love with data. So if you want, we could talk about that later. So the purpose of the form was to find out some information about them. And uh, that, I mean, that's, that's essentially what started that idea. A lot of us were just losing money 
Yeah. And I love, you know, you mentioned the hype earlier in your answer there. And I think it strikes me that what you're doing is you're putting weight behind and longevity to that hype and, and making sure that businesses can actually get something out of them that help them build and help them survive. And mm-hmm. um, it's interesting as well that you mentioned that, you know, the timing of when it came about, because obviously this is kind of born out of, of COVID-19. You know, there's a lot of reports that I've read that suggest that women have been and will be disproportionately affected by what's happened in the last year in professional terms. You know, on top of the racial side of things that, you you know, that you're talking about, is this more generally a problem for women that you've observed? And, and, and why do you think that is? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, as you mentioned, we've seen it in the news. It is horrible what is um, the disparities and not not only for black women and women of color, all women right now in this moment and all of 2020, we were suffering. I mean, we, a lot of us, I am someone who has children. I'm very fortunate and and I'm only going to say this for this moment in my life because I have not always been this fortunate. I am fortunate at this moment in my life because I have a husband and so we have two incomes, but you know, 10 years ago, I wasn't. So if I was in this space without an extra income or without um, housing, and you know, I live in New York City, so it really hit New York hard. It hit other places hard as well. But for New York, the job loss, the, you know, uh, just just the uncertainty, not knowing if you're going to be able to pay your rent and if your employer is going to let you go. Because if you work for a small restaurant and the restaurant closes, they let you go. And although they may or may not have had access to the PPP loans, a lot of people were still losing their jobs. Now, with all of that, I do want to add, um, it birthed to me uh, opportunity for many of the women that I have been speaking to, and not not my friends, but those who have later on found about found out about BWBC, where they said, you know what, I they turned me from uh, full time to part time. I'm get, collecting unemployment, and I just started a nail polish build, a business, or I just started a shea butter business. So they um, birthed out of necessity started these businesses and they're bootstrapping it and they don't have the tools, they don't know the business solutions, the know-how, the practical things that you should do to market or pre-launch your products, but they're out there still making sales and may not be as large as um, you know other businesses. And I often talk about American Express um, Commission Report from 2019, where they talk about the disparities of revenue, which is what I'm a champion of right now, the, you know, revenue, revenue equality for women of color and specifically black women of color. I mean, black women who have businesses, but we are still challenged. You know, my, my idea, I've always been pushing it before, you know, pre COVID I've always told women that because I'm always about women's empowerment. That's all women, you know, you should have multiple streams of income. You don't have to be an entrepreneur, you don't have to leave your nine to five, but you should have some type of security outside of your employer. So I'm still on that. And, you know, now, now I think the message is clearer to a lot of the people, a lot of the women that I, uh, you know, interact with, because now they're just like, yeah, you're right. You know, COVID has slowed me down, whether it was positive or negative, but it slowed, it slowed us down. And now I'm thinking about starting my own business. Now I'm thinking about going back to school. So this is such an interesting time for all of us where 
lots of negatives, but so many positives are available if you take, you know, you take hold of it and, and start, you know, reading books, you know, reading the business books, uh, signing up, joining a collective, you know, like the Black Women's Business Collective, right? So we're yeah. all in here. So, you know, the, these are the things so you get and you got to find your tribe, find your circle. And just, you know, we have to live through this moment, right? If you are fortunate enough to to have your health um, and your mind state and, you know, set up your mind to go forward. And that's really, that's really how I think about this moment. But we, we are struggling, all of us, in our own little way. Yeah. And there's one thing you touched on there, which I, I, I find particularly compelling. Zaneda was, you know, you mentioned that you didn't choose to be a housewife. You didn't choose to kind of be primary carer. Like mm-hmm. it, what it's done is it's taken away a lot of the choices that were really hard fought by mm. the women's movement when you think about it. But to bring it actually back though, to the BWBC, because, you know, we can talk about women in general, but, but ultimately, you know, with intersectionality, the, the problems faced by the members of the BWBC, like with that extra layer of, of, of race, you know, that there's further obstacles, further problems that are being faced. And a lot of them are systemic, you know, they're around raising mm-hmm. capital, there are issues around networking in the business world. And um, it's, it's something we were lucky enough to chat to Lenise Panton about last year. Right. He had written that amazing piece for colour lines from Firefest to Theranos, the invisible mm-hmm. racial subtext of raising capital. Uh, highly recommend anyone going back to either listen to that episode or read her piece. But like she makes a really compelling and stark argument for the actual realities faced by women of colour in business. But you've come up with, you know, a way of combating that. So do you want to tell us about your concept of cash or C-A-S-H um, yeah. and tell us how, you, how you're going about breaking down these barriers? So cash, a little backstory. I, I had mentioned earlier, I used to live in Staten Island. I am born and raised like third generation Staten Island person. And for anyone who is maybe a hip hop head and they, they like hip hop artists, um, the Wu-Tang Clan was birthed out of the area where I used to live when I was a child. And they had a song, very popular song called Cash Rules. It was called Cash Rules Everything Around Me. And it was called Cream, I believe. And we, I mean, it was just something that we love. So as I was thinking about all of the challenges and barriers that um, Black women business owners and Afro-Latina business owners face, um, I don't know, that song just popped in my head. So I said, okay, cash, I'm going to make this work. And it worked out perfectly. So we will start with C. And you mentioned that earlier, capital, right? Access to capital is the first one. And, it, and it's perfect within this, you know, C-A-S-H that C comes first, right? Because capital is the first thing. So we can get all the mentoring. Most of us are over-mentored, to be honest, but it's the funding. We are completely underfunded. We need capital. We need capital investment, capital to buy machinery. You know, this basic stuff, a lot of Black women-owned businesses do not have, or they have so many other personal responsibilities that that money needs to go to. And, and I know this personally because I, you know, I've, my, my oldest is 21 years old. And when I had my oldest, I didn't have any money. I was completely broke. I was, you know, struggling. I sat in school full-time. And I used to spend a dollar a day on pretzels to eat. So I didn't take money out of the family's house, you know, out of the household. And it was just like, that's how I survived. And I know, so I know that feeling of just like being, 
not so down and out because I didn't feel down and out. It was just my economic situation and I, I passed through it, right, to get where I wanted to, to go in life. So I know I have that personal connection and I know what it feels like to want to do something for your business or a business idea that you have and not have the capital. So capital is important and there are many ways. I know people often say, oh, try to get you know VC funding or angel investment funding. That is not an option for many of us until that atmosphere opens up for us. And that leads me to A, which is the allyship, right? We need, we need your buy-in. We need people who have access you know, allyship, uh, you know, access. We need that. We can't create that our, ourselves. We don't have the access. You may have the opportunity to that, to be around the access, but we don't have the access, which would be the systemic barriers that you mentioned earlier. Like, because it's systemic, that already 100% excludes us. So we need someone to be, you know, and there's a little controversy behind that, but we need, we do need those champions in certain spaces. Like we can say, oh, you know what, let's pool our own money. We could do it ourselves. And I get it. Yes. And, and I've seen it done in, in certain communities, but for the most of us who want to scale, we need capital investment. We need someone to make warm introductions for us because that's just the, that's just the world we live in right now. Unfortunately, with the amount of uh, racism and, and other systemic challenges that are out there, we need someone to open that door uh, for us or, or even give us information, right? Uh, you know, there's a lot of times that we are bootstrapping um, and what I'll say is unnecessarily, right? Because we don't know. You only know what you know. So if you don't know it, you're, a li you're liable to make a, make a, you know, a mistake or, you know, put yourself in a situation where you don't actually have to do that. You can outsource. I remember the first time someone said to me, uh, maybe about 10 years ago, and they were just like, why are you doing that yourself? Why don't you, you know, outsource? And they, and they told me about this website, go get some people who can create that graphic for you. Because I was like learning, it had to be longer than 10 years ago, but CS4, that's how old I am. We're talking about, <laughs> talking about Creative Suite 4 from Adobe. And I was over here learning Illustrator because I, I said, I need some really cool graphics so people can, you know, like my business. This was my mindset. And then someone said, no, you can just pay somebody, you know, if you have it, like pay $50 and get them to make the logo for you. So you don't have to put all your brain power into that. You can actually work on the business and not in the business. And I'm just like, oh, Okay, but a lot of us in this moment, they don't know that, right? They're just, they want to make some sales, they're making some shea butter, they're making soap, they're making candles, and they, you know, they're not thinking about the these processes that um, will help you scale your business so you don't have to work in it, you're working on it. So that's where, you know, that comes from with access, right? Give me access to information. You don't have to give me access to your whole network. I mean, that would be nice too, right? But you can give me access to information, share what you know, right? Your glass can only be filled to a certain top and, you know, a certain point. You made the point about opening the door for someone, but actually in some cases, it's really a case of just holding the door open as you're going through it so that somebody else can get in too. There you go. There you go. Right. And, and, and that's it, right? It, it just share, you know, a lot of my, I've been very fortunate in the past to have, uh, I have, I've had male business mentors and, you know, they, you know, white men, I mean, I wanted to learn, you know, I wanted to learn wealth. I wanted to learn business. And when I look at who is the top at business and wealth, you know, you, you get what you get. So I'm just like, okay, well, while I'm doing these internships, I'm going to learn from 
these people. I've done an internship at UBS, Payne Weber, financial companies. And I just sit, I would sit there and learn and just let them talk, you know, whether it was bragging, whatever they were doing, I'm just listening to them. Talk about the systems, talk about the stock markets, talk about how businesses work, right? And the one thing that one uh, one of my bosses, he has said to me, he said, you know, and I don't, I don't know if this is 100%, but he did say, the thing about women and men when it comes to network, he was like, men don't mind sharing resources. And he was like, I've noticed that, you know, women in business, they like, they just want to hold things. And again, this is not exclusive to all women, but I have throughout my life noticed that, you know, it's like, if you know about a program or you know about, I don't know, a, a grant that just opened up, like, okay, go apply and then maybe share that with 10, with 10 of your sister friends who you know are in business. Like don't hold all of those resources to yourself, right? And I don't know where that comes from, but you know, definitely share and, and hold that door open, give access. Um, and we can move to uh, you know, S, which would be my, well, one of my favorite parts, which is something that I could actually help in and my team can help in, um, which would be strategy, right? So you get, let's say you get the money. Um, someone gives you access, they make the warm introductions, they hold the door open. Now, what do you do, right? So, okay, you got all of this and I've been here. I've also, you know, so I'm very deeply related to this these topics because I have had at certain points, not a lot of capital, but people have made small investments in me and then also have given me access. And then I found myself with no game plan. I was just so hungry for the capital and the access that when I finally got it, I didn't know what to do. And my favorite example is when I had gotten um, an invitation to be interviewed by uh, one of the editorial reporters for um, Inc, for Inc Magazine. And I think he, I think he's at Vox now, but we're, we're still cool. But he had invited me. He learned about my business somehow. This is when the internet and everything just started booming. So if you got out there, it's like Clubhouse now. If you get, if you got out there a couple of months ago you could be a rock star. You try to get in now, you're going to get saturated. So I happened to get in at the very beginning of all of that. And uh, the, the man asked me to come to his office. Now, mind you, I had never been in Manhattan in a publisher's office or anything like that. And he's like, I love this idea. And back then it was called Designing Women Worldwide, which was pretty much like a collective of all women, business women, and networking, all this stuff. I've always been about it. And I get to the office, I come in, I look good, I'm, you know, I'm speaking well, I'm great. And, and then he asked me something about what was the plan or like the goal of like next year, like what, like what was my strategy? And that's exactly what he was, you know, how are you going to make money? What's the revenue model? And I didn't know, I knew what he was talking about, but I didn't have an answer for that. I just, I could not articulate it. And I'm really good at just like coming up with things. And I just did not, he said revenue model. And I said, oh, um, yeah, so I'm just going to push it out to some of my friends and I'm going to ask. And that being said, they did not feature my interview in Inc. Magazine. And then I was crying. I was upset and all this stuff, right? And I, I failed. I failed. I was really young. I failed, failed. But now in my life, I go, no, that makes perfect sense. I didn't have a, I didn't talk, I didn't speak about the blueprint. I didn't speak about what the revenue model was. I didn't have that strategy set in place, which is what uh, Black women and Afro-Latino women business owners need. They need a strategy. They need to be thinking about the strategy before the capital comes in, right? So they, some people call it, you know, your 
your viable product or your viable concept or your most viable concept or something like thinking in that that realm of okay so you have this great idea with one i keep on saying shea butter because i have a lot of data behind some of the businesses starting these shea butter businesses um which is you know brilliant but you know you sit there and you say okay you got all someone was just in my dms on instagram a woman that i granted uh money to and she's just like you know, I have all these boxes, these spa boxes, and I'm just ready to give it out. And, but no one's biting like that. You know, she's not getting the effect that she wants. So I said, well, what's your marketing plan? You know, what, what are you thinking, you know, in your business plan, what, what was going to be your revenue model? Like, what was your idea of making a sale? Like, how are you, you know, do you have a benchmark? Is there something you're aiming to? And she's just like, yeah, I, I, you know, I sent some boxes out to some people and, um, you know, I, I just not, I'm not getting the traction. So I, you know, I told her about user generated content and I said, well, did you ask them? Did you give them a clear call to action? You know, whatever she said, yes, she did. I told her, I said, well, I think the one thing is that you put the product out there and you didn't really think about how you didn't think about your sales funnel. You didn't think about these things. And she's like, yeah, you're right. And I said, well, you know, no big deal, right? You know, now's the time. Now's the time. Like, let's take the weekend. Cause I think that's when she messaged me. I said, take the rest of the weekend. I sent her some resources and I said, uh, come up with a, a plan, like set up your projections, right? So you can have this, so you can speak to, you know that you want to sell 10 boxes by June because they're, they're high end boxes. You want to sell 10 boxes by June, maybe. I know it's a you know, low ball, but you know, it's, it's a start. Don't just say, I'm going to put it out there and hope that 50 boxes get sold. Hope that, but there's no plan to do that. If you want 10 boxes sold, then you might want to go pick up the phone and I don't know, call some, I'm making this up, but you know, you might want to call some places, maybe a nursing home or something and, and say, we have these very high end spa boxes, you know, it's like a happiness box and whatever. And, you know, I'd love to send a box to the nursing home. Again, I'm just making this up on the top of my head, but you know, you kind of just do something like that and see, you know, one of them has to bite, you know, and then send them the box. Maybe they'll fall in love with it. Maybe one of the, it's, it's a lot of different options, but you didn't think about that yet. So it's the strategy that we need. And, and again, that's getting in, that's taking the classes, that's reading the books, that's joining the collectives, listening to ideas and, and going from there. And then the last one would be hope because in the middle of all of this, not that you're going to hope that it goes well, but you're going to have the hope inside of you that you can do it. So there are a lot of self-limiting beliefs that I have seen. I'm not saying all, but I have seen within the 3,000 uh, in the collective, a lot of them don't believe that they can do it. One, the systemic issues, right? So yeah. that's a big thing to get around. And you're just like, but the, you know, it, it, you know, white people don't want to give me access. And I'm like, okay, I get it, right? Like you're feeling that the news makes you feel like it, elections make you feel like it. You don't like you don't really know. You're hearing all this stuff, and you're just like, I'm only going to be able to sell to my local community. That's it. I'm not going to get the support of whoever, right? Or I'm not going to get the capital. A venture capitalist would never talk to me at the state where I'm at right now. And they're probably right. Especially, you know, not having business plans and all this other stuff um, that goes in strategy, but getting rid of self-limiting beliefs and the hope and the understanding that you can do it, the belief is important. So just to summarize that, because I know I went, I went deep stories within each one, it's capital, it's access, it's strategy and hope. And basically eliminating self-limiting beliefs.
amazing. That's that's really, really empowering stuff. And then in terms of how that goes into practical terms or practical applications, what sort of services do you offer? Mm-hmm. So the collective and, and the reason why I have this, this ecosystem, I call it, when you're solving a problem, because I feel like I need to add this context first before I start talking about all these different programs we have, you have a problem if you somewhat solve it, right? You usually cast your net and look for another challenge, right? When you think about business, you're solving problems. So for me, the, the, one, the one challenge that I had or problem was how do I get Black and Afro-Latina business owners to collectively gather in, in a, a certain number, which my target number was 3,000? Um, how do I get them to gather, put their information in and get into conversation with them? My answer was the database. It happened. I got everyone on my email list and now most of us are in constant communication. That's when other problems started to arise. Some I knew about and some just came out of nowhere, which is the Phoenix Fund. So the part with capital, I don't have the wealth that I know you know, these millionaire and billionaire investors could give these businesses, but my own little, you know, micro capital start is to give out money through the Phoenix Fund. And and this is particularly for new business owners and new uh, business concepts. You know, we we go through a vetting process. If if we believe, it doesn't mean that it's not, but if we believe it's a a viable business and you kind of got your your head straight and you're just, you're ready to attack it, we will grant you uh, micro micro grants for LLCs, uh, websites and domains and for any type of machinery if it's within our, our budgets. And, uh, you know, we, we do that as a little start. So, right. So that is, that is the capital part. So we do offer that through the Phoenix fund mm-hmm. and then through indefinite breakthrough, which is, uh, it, it's a second part of BWBC, we are offering business solutions and marketing services. So in practice, what that looks like is giving classes, right? A lot of it is membership base. The other part is classes. So right now it's mainly virtual. Um, well, all virtual and we'll see where that goes, but the classes will consist of the business strategies that we were talking about. Uh, you know, surprisingly for some, many of the businesses that are in this collective or who are interested in the collective, they don't have things like business plans. Is the business plan necessary to have a great business? No, but it's a, it's, I think it's necessary to at least get your thoughts out on paper and see if your idea is valuable, if you can actually sell what you're talking about. So classes on business development. I am working with city and state officials. That That is the big goal because they're all, you know, that's that hype we were talking about. This big hype going around. And my goal is to work with them because they have more of the capital where they can say, hey, we partner with, I don't know, let's say Pricewaterhouse. And they're going to they're going to teach a finance course or accounting course or something just to get your books in order on a a lower scale if if you can't afford an accountant. So we're going to partner with them. They're going to partner with Indefinite Breakthrough. We'll bring these women in either on grant or through paid memberships, and they will learn the business solutions that they need to get them to scale. So that's one aspect. And then the other aspect is the marketing courses that we are offering, mainly mainly in social media marketing. Given the data from a uh, majority of the businesses within the database, they all have some type of e-commerce side. And because of COVID-19, basically everyone's virtual. So just teaching them how to get your website together. Here's some, you know, here's some automation tools. Here's some hacks. Here's some ways to outsource that within 
your own budget. So a lot of taking it back to my uh, passion as a young girl, just educating, right? So we are offering that and we'll see from there where it expands. But I, I would really love my big, big goal, just in case anyone was wondering, my huge goal is to open a, I don't know if you've heard of it before, but like a Omega Center, but just a, a huge, you know, acreage uh, place where it can be a wellness and business side where women can actually leave their spaces. So if you're at home, you got all these responsibilities going on, um, almost like a an incubator, but a boarding school for like business women. <laughs> it's just like, you know, and, and then having that side where if you have kids, we have a babysitting center on site. So you come, oh, yeah. you and your family, y'all come up for three weeks. Like that is a huge goal for me, but yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm really excited about that. <laughs> That's kind of redesigning, you know, business or office space to suit the right. needs of, right. of in 2021. I love that. I was reading about your 12 tenets of sistership and, it, you know, yes. I, I thought it was lovely how you'd laid it out. So maybe you could, you could just very quickly run through what the 12 are and then for the audience, maybe pick your favorite one or the one that you think is the most important. So when you, so here's, here's what I will actually turn it back on you. Which okay. One, which one called out to you the most? And I'll dive in deep. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think for me, the one that jumped out at me first, actually, and knowing that I was I was researching this uh, in terms of interviewing you and, and hearing about the Black Women's Business Collective. So number 11, openness to allyship yes. spoke to me because, you know, I, you know, while I'm a woman there, so there are parts of, of what you're doing, I can understand. I don't have the experience as a woman of color. So, you know, to me, obviously reading number 11, openness to allyship, it's wrapped up in sistership. There's, there's, yep. there's something that I can offer and I can do. That's right. So I would also say that, and that's a big one. That that is a tough one as well because there is there's a lot, you know. And what I mean by openness to allyship is for the for the black woman and for the woman of color looking to scale because the end, you know, really the goal is to scale your business, right, and and achieve right. revenue uh, revenue parity. But we have to be open to that allyship. Now there there is a lot of, you know, discourse going around, you know, you can't you can't trust, you know, you can't, can't trust this group or they'll steal your ideas or you can't trust whatever and and or they're just being performative, right? So that that went around in the media for a while for about performative allyship. And we know that to be true, especially over here in the states that, you know, even right now we're deep in um, Black History Month and they're are a lot of performative actors on social media and you see it, you know, nowhere in these organizations, the corporations, nowhere in the other 11 months have you ever amplified the voices of black artists or black businesses or, you know, and just because probably you, you sat down in your, your campaigns and said, oh, you know, let's make sure that we highlight all these amazing black women, all these Black people for Black History Month. But then after that, when that hype goes away, and I'll take it back there, once all that hype goes away, then what? Where's the capital? Where's the access? Where's helping out with strategy? Where is, you know, hel uh, helping them believe, right? It's, everything is in self, but it's what you see as well that influences you. 
So if you're not seeing too many black women or women that look like you make it or people helping them, you're going to start believing that it can't be done. There's so much in your 12 tenets of sistership that, you know, that that can be broadly applied outside of business. But, you know, know, there are 12 of them there. So rather than run through them all, but like, you know, there's there's other ones like assertive action, there's mentorship, there's willingness to learn and financial security initiatives. I'm going to put them all up on the blog post. Oh, that's great. You know, I do think there's a lot there that people can reflect on and take from and use in, in their own ways in, mm-hmm. in business, and in mm-hmm. kind of dealing with colleagues. I was going to say my favorite. I mean, I love them all, obviously, but one of my favorites is four, which is accountability partners. I, I feel instead of staying in your own bubble, It's important to get, and I I spoke about this before, but it's important to have your circle and keep each other accountable. And this isn't anything. It doesn't even have to be sistership. This is anything. Like you need someone who's going to keep you accountable. Your professor's going to keep you accountable. Your your kids will keep you accountable. Your employer will keep you accountable. So when you're going in business, instead of being to yourself, get someone who can keep you accountable. And maybe they don't have the capacity to check in every single day, but maybe you have like a few of my sister friends, we have 30 minute check-ins throughout the month where we're just like, okay, so what's up? What, what have you done? I know you said you were going to try to pitch, um, you know, this magazine, what happened? You know, do you need some help? Oh, I know someone I can make a warm introduction. You need that. It keeps you going because being just in your own space if if you're not meditating if it's if it's just you and your own thoughts man that that may not be the <laughs> the best thing so you need some accountability partners i love that it turns what could be a solo effort into a team sport which is very That's important right. we don't have much time left but i'd just love to hear you know what has the response been like so far for the bwbc and what sort of results have maybe you know what's your favorite results that you've seen with one of your partners Oh, yeah. So we have uh, since I'm going to say since July of 2020, we've received uh, some a good amount of press, which is great. And then I secured a, an interview with Cheddar TV, which is, is major. So that was wonderful. And I think that's one of my greatest accomplishments to date. And the fact that the people who are inquiring, even if they're not in the media, like they're just like, OK, you know, Zaneda, I want to help you out. So look through, I've had people tell me, because this is one of my strategies, they're like, look through your LinkedIn, look at your second, your second degree, people who you follow and ask for a warm introduction. I usually tell people that, but I've had people in the reverse say to me, you know, I'm really connected to, I'm connected to a venture capitalist who would probably be really interested in speaking to, you know, a handful of the women in your, in your database, right? So like this, the opportunities are just multiplying, which is wonderful. Um, and I'm, I'm just really excited about working with local officials in, in different states where we have high business ownership by Black, by black women, which, you know, are like the major cities and stuff. And, and I, that's going to be the most exciting. So I have, it's very, it's very cold. It's like cold, warm right now. And I'm working on it. But that partnership in these states would be exciting because the main goal and what I'm striving to is to have some type of policy change in the U.S., right? So if we have these economic development hubs, which essentially, as I mentioned, I would love to have a huge one, you know, a retreat type base, but if we have it in different states and they, and they do have it, but I think they need to do a little bit more for minority business owners, right? To get us set up. So if I can partner with some of the programs that we have for business solutions and marketing with different cities and states, 
that would just be phenomenal. So we're, we're in a very beginning of that. And, you know, so that, that is, that is just, that is the goal. You put, you affect policy, you, you pretty much, you have, you have the leverage to do things which can actually change systemic issues. Well, that's what I was going to say, that that it's it's only really through that sort of partnership that you can start to remove those systemic obstacles. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. So that's what I've been strategizing on. Like, what is it? You know, I can give everyone these micro grants and that's fun, but that's not going to change. You know, that's not going to change the revenue, um, revenue inequality that is going on right now, um, specifically in the U.S., if you know it's a hundred thousand dollar difference on average that other other people of color and in white businesses, white owned businesses compared to black owned businesses, where you know on average we're making thirty to forty thousand dollars a year, and others are making a hundred and forty, or you know, so it's just like there's something there, and a lot of it is systemic. So, how do you you know I have a degree in political science, and I already know if you really really want to enact change, you have to get to politicians, you have to get into policy and discretionary funding and all this stuff and you know and then we can we can solve because i can't solve clearly i can't solve this on my own right i'm a black woman so i can't solve that there's only so many grants that you can give out you know (laughs) so before we let you go we often ask guests if there's a person in their discipline you've a couple to choose from there who they aspire to or who inspires them and i'd really love to hear yours Absolutely. So um, I have two, uh, I have three actually, but I'll ta- I'll talk more about the last one I'll mention. Um, so Oprah Winfrey, of course. I mean, I, I think a lot of us may may mention Oprah Winfrey mostly in the beginning and mid part of her career because of her hustle and her drive in communications and keeping herself relevant even with personal challenges and stuff that really does inspire me. So I may listen to something by her, uh, you know, an interview or something. It just really keeps me going that on top of all of this, she, she stayed consistent and she stayed relevant. So that is important because I, I want longevity in the, in all of this. Um, and then she also helps so many people. So that, that part reminds me of, uh, and inspires me. Um, the other one, the other person I'll mention is Toni Morrison. Um, I write a lot. And what inspires me about her is that I, one of her, her last documentary that she has, she mentioned that she rises around four or five o'clock in the morning to work on her books. Like that just because she has kids. And she's like, that's the only way I can think and have quiet time. And that inspires me because I also have children and my husband and after like eight o'clock, it's a wrap. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's my time. So in order for me to really, really invest in the deep thinking and, and writing and stuff that I want to do for the business, I rise at between four and, and five o'clock and I, I just work. And then lastly, someone more current would be Catherine Finney. She is the founder of Digital Undivided. And she's also a venture, I believe she's a venture capitalist as well. Um, I have had an opportunity to connect with her on LinkedIn and she donated money to the Phoenix Fund. And uh, she's just someone that's in the digital space. She's from, she's from Yale and she's just a source of inspiration. She's a black woman. And the fact that I, I can look at someone who looks like me and believe that I can one day become 
a VC or, or angel investor where I have the funds to do so. So she, she's brilliant. And uh, that's it. Catherine, Catherine's an incredible woman. We were very, very lucky to, to get to speak to her. So lastly, then, before I let you go, uh, I know I've said that already, but where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your work? And, you know, what's your next big project or launch that you're, you're thinking of? Yes. So I would say I, I love to connect with everyone on social media. I am probably on all the big social media sites at Just Zanada. So if you just at Z-A-N-A-D-E, you will find me. I love to connect. I love to look at other people's stories and all that other stuff. So connect with me there. And if you want to keep up with the Black Women's Business Collective, you can sign up for updates at our website at allinmybusiness.com. And uh, you'll see you'll see everything that I'm working on. But the big, the big, big, big project is this uh, state and local project, which is aptly called state and local project <laughs> for revenue parity. Um, and my my goal is to go hard. And when I tell you, I mean, those 4 a.m. mornings doing, you know, I have a nice, I have a nice team, a little small team, you know, I don't, I'm not that, not that big yet, <laughs> but you know, my team, we do a lot of research, the point people, we go through my LinkedIn, see who I'm connected to, ask for warm introductions. That big project is to make sure that I have the influence of the Black Women's Business Collective in indefinite breakthrough throughout the United States, that we are really putting action to all of this hype. And um, that's all going to be through indefinite breakthrough. So I'm very excited about that. Well, fantastic. I'm really looking forward to hearing where things go for you this year and beyond. And it's been a genuine pleasure chatting to you today, Zaneda. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope you have a wonderful day. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Zaneda. If you did, we'd love you to give us a review. It helps like-minded people find their way to our content. We'll be back next week with another great episode of Scale by Intercom for you. We hope you'll join us. This is Inside Intercom.